friends. My name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with John Crotz about his book, Hope, Living Confidently in God. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Now, before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. John Crotz is senior pastor of Faith Bible Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia, and the author of several books, including Graciousness, Tempering Truth with Love, and Loving the Church, God's People Flourishing in God's Family. Hey there, John. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. Hi, Christine. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited, as I am, it seems like every episode, to talk to you today about this wonderful resource that you've put together. It is another one of the devotionals in the PNR Publishing 31 Day Devotionals for Life series. We've had a number of authors who have contributed titles to that series on the Hope and Help podcast before, so our audience is familiar. But your title that was recently released over the summer, I believe, is called hope, living confidently in God. As always, it seems like I wish we could talk for two hours on this, and I'm so excited about this book. I actually have been leading a group of women through it at my church, and so this has been something I have personally been living in, um, your book, for the last month and a half or so. But before we dive into the content of the book and the discussion that we're going to be having today in terms of, you know, how can we persevere in hard times and how does the hope we have in Jesus Christ really help us through those hard times? Would you spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write a book on this topic? Sure. Well, they say that hope is only necessary for people with problems. Mm. And uh, of course, that's, that's all of us all the time. But the world is a very negative place. And sometimes even when even believers can be negative or focused on the negative as well. And I was kind of challenged. It's like, let's let's think about the, the positive hope we have and the solid foundation we have for that hope. And so what I was trying to do was to inspire hope from all different sections of scripture. So not just the Psalms or or the words of Christ, but all over it, Old Testament stories, even to heaven and the return of Christ. And I found the Bible just to be loaded with with great material that we could speak of a positive, uplifting word day by day for the 31 days of the devotional and uh, straight from Scripture. And that's that's what I would love to see the Lord do to encourage people's hearts who are going through difficult times. Well, you do a really great job uh, at the very beginning of the book, helping us to even think about what hope is, Uh, you know, with words like this, uh, we can use them frequently and then kind of get lost in what their true meaning Mm -hmm. is. And so I wonder if you might help us to just here on the show 
put some some definitions on what hope is and then why it is so important. It's an important part of persevering in hard times. That's right. So hope is, it, it's kind of like so simple, it's difficult to define, but really I think we can just, we can just think of, uh, it's an expectation of a positive future because of God. One old pastor said, hope is the certain expectation of receiving good from God. And that's a beautiful way to do it. When you think of faith, we're believing what God has done in the past and believing what God says about the, the person and work of Christ. When you think of hope, it's, it's believing the character of God and believing the promises of God toward the future. So they're very much related. But I love what you put, what you said as well, how important hope is. And I mentioned that hope is only for people with problems. Well, if you've got a problem and you're hopeless or you're in despair, that problem can look massive. I use the illustration of a penny. If you hold just a little penny up to your eyes, it's all you can see. Well, when you put the penny on the table, you kind of get perspective. Well, sometimes our problems feel like that penny in front of our eyes. It's all we can see. And hope helps us have that perspective. It gets God in the picture. So it motivates us uh, to, to honor the Lord and to think of the Lord in the midst of the problem. And it also maintains our diligence to do the things we need by God's grace, with the Lord's help to work through the problem. God doesn't promise to take away our problems, but he does promise to give us grace through the problems to honor him. Yeah, I think it's just so good that you help us to um, think about that a little bit more and what, what we are actually saying when we use the word hope. Um, and I think, too, in the first day, you go into that a bit more. And I love the fact that during the devotional, you really help to contrast what the difference is between, you know, the world's idea of hope, which may be more of a kind of a wishful thinking or wishful right. optimism mm -hmm. versus the secure, uh, what, what is it that you say, the sustaining certainty mm. of the hope that we have in Christ. And so I wonder um, if we might dive into the scriptures really to start kind of sorting through this before we even begin to apply it to going through hard times. Uh, you opened day one in the devotional with 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, and I actually would like to read that for all of us. Well, um, just so we're all on the same page, uh, but Peter writes, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so I wonder if I could ask you, you know, because you write for the non-Christian, wishful hope is the best they can have, but that a Christian has a far more powerful hope. So what is it about this scripture in particular that helps us to unpack the true basis and nature of Christian hope? Mm -hmm. Yes, well, the basis of Christian hope is the character of God who cannot lie and his word, which is 
absolutely inspired and true and right and sufficient for all that we need. And it's it focuses our attention on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love how Peter puts it, just of we have a living hope because we have a living Savior who is risen from the dead. Everything he said came to pass. I, I think of those accounts in the Gospels where Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And they didn't want to hear it. You know, he was saying, listen, I'm going to be given over to the, the leaders. I'm going to be beaten up. I'm going to be crucified. And then he says, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And I would think that the disciples would have thought, wow, he, he was right about this, 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 and this. Three days later, let's be waiting by the tomb because he's been right about everything else. His words are going to be true and right, and certainly they did. And, and so we can think of, of our hope as a living hope because we have a living Savior, a living God, the Word of God, which is absolutely right and true. So we aren't just wishing for a positive future. We have a confidence and a certainty of a positive future in as much as they're based on the certainty of God's character and God's promises. Yeah, this particular scripture is just so meaningful to me. And I love the fact that you use the term in the book, wishful thinking, because oftentimes when I'm thinking about hope and the resurrection, and we'll talk, I think, more about that later on in our conversation. But I like to compare that term wishful thinking to Christ and the witnessed reality of his resurrection, right? Our hope is based on that witnessed reality, not just a wishy-washy, wishful thinking. Now, I'd like to take kind of those high-level overviews of the nature of Christian hope and the basis of it, and then really boil it down to, okay, well, that's all well and good, but I'm going through a trial, or I'm going through Mm -hmm. a hard time, and I know that my listeners and and myself and you, we we all know what that is like, and it's really difficult to have that expectation of good in the future when there is so many pressing hard things going on in your life, and you say that when we do go through those times that we can feel spiritually purposeless, or maybe we feel like we've drifted away from God or that he seems far away or disinterested and the darkness is closing in on us. So when this does happen, you tell readers to think of Jesus as, quote, an anchor extending up into heaven itself. Can you explain what you mean by that and maybe why meditating on such imagery is helpful when we find ourselves beginning to feel hopeless? Well, that comes from Hebrews chapter 6, where the Bible says that in the Lord, we do have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So God can't lie, it says in that context, and he's given us his sure promises, and he's pointed to the work of Christ, how he's gone to heaven before us. He's presented his sacrifice on our behalf to God the Father. God has accepted the sacrifice. 
And so even though our life can feel like we're adrift or that God doesn't care, what a great image it is that we have an anchor, not a physical anchor for a boat adrift in a lake, but we have a spiritual anchor, not going up and not going down, but going up into heaven. So we are rooted and grounded in God. And sometimes it feels like the world's lost, you know, and we're, we're off track, but we can know the truth of what's real in that this image of the anchor of the soul. I just, I do think it's a, it's a wonderful thing to think about and meditate on and how God uses our, our thoughts, our great thoughts of him and his word to root us where we need to be. And that again, gives us that confidence. Okay. We're all right. It's going to be all right. God is going to get us through. He doesn't promise that he's going to take away the temptation or the trial in that moment, but he is right there with us. He has us anchored. We're not going to go drifting off <laughs> into the darkness where we always know that he has a positive future for us. And just building off to that, John, it almost helps us to, you know, think beyond the fact that sometimes we, you know, boil hope down to sentiment and feeling instead of, you know, like we're talking about here, the, the concrete realities of hope. That's right. And so, you know, just that idea of an anchor, you know, the boat isn't holding itself, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it, it's not the thing that's keeping itself steady. You know, I think Spurgeon once said about being tethered to heaven and he used the, you know, the picture of an anchor extending up to heaven. And when we think about it that way, it helps me just imagine that, look, I'm, I'm, I'm trending upward on this, you know, I'm being, I'm not being pulled down. Like the anchor isn't sinking me. Actually, I am on an upward trajectory, even though there's lots of ups and downs in this season of hard time. That's right. That's right. And and even back to the first Peter chapter one, where it talks about our inheritance is kept in heaven for mm -hmm. us. And aren't we thrilled that it's not about our ability to to maintain it, you know? I, I, I think it was John MacArthur who once said, if if we could lose our salvation, we would do it. <laughs> if there was a way for it to be lost, we would we would figure out a way to lose it and lose it. But we are so thankful that we are kept in God's hands, anchored in heaven, and uh, our inheritance is in heaven. And and we are on that path, persevering. Yes, we're responsible to, to do what we can to to live for the Lord in the midst of our trials, but we can know that our future is secure because of the work of Christ for us. And to even know that that trial has an end date. You know, we don't know when that end date is, but the confident expectation of good is that the, all of this brokenness or this hard trial, whatever it is that we're walking through, whether it's short or a long, you know, chronic issue, it will expire. It has an expiration date in Christ. And that is our confident expectation of good in the future, if nothing else. Right. Right. So. Yeah. And I think of that made me think of my one of my very favorite promises in the Bible. Right. First uh, Corinthians 10, 13. God's not going to let 
us be overwhelmed and he is faithful and with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it so he's gonna he's gonna carry us through he's not gonna let us be overwhelmed even if it feels like i'm overwhelmed we know right. what god says is no you're not and he's gonna give you just the grace you need for today to get through this trial he might he hasn't as the as some of the people have said over the years he doesn't promise us grace for tomorrow but he does promise all the grace we need for today absolutely well thank thank goodness he does that for us it is um, a very precious promise that he delivers on every morning giving us numerous season and the grace that we need well something else we might struggle with when we're going through hard times is the notion that god is punishing us or that he is just refusing to actively work in our situation and you write that when this happens we're prone to desperately grasp to human solutions to our problems and we might actually begin to start thinking like a practical atheist. Mm. Uh, maybe you even just explain what the term practical atheist is, just for those who may not be familiar. Maybe let, actually, let's just start there. So what do you even mean by that statement? What does it mean to think like a practical atheist? Yeah, it's it's basically, even if we're real believers, sometimes we act as though God doesn't exist. We're looking at, at life and life's problems just through our human glasses, if you will, instead of keeping God actively in the picture. So, for example, I remember sometime when I had a major plumbing issue in my house, and I was a new, newly married, uh, new homeowner, and I didn't really know what to do. And immediately when I started hearing gurgles in the wrong places, I just started thinking of how much this was going to cost. And I was in immediate despair in that in that moment. Uh, there's no there's nothing that can be done other than call people out that will charge me a ton of money to do all this work. And and I ended up talking to a, a Christian friend, a person in our church, and he was so encouraging to remind me of, of the Lord and remind me of many resources that we had right around us. And I was immediately ashamed because I hadn't thought of the Lord right away. I had immediately run to my checkbook or the credit card <laughs> instead of just to keep God in my thinking. Maurice Roberts, uh, who's a, a pastor from the United Kingdom, he said in a, in a beautiful way, the thought of God is the Christian's panacea. The thought of God, if we can get God in between ourselves and our problems, our problem is half solved. Mm. And wow, uh, that is difficult. We don't, we don't mean to minimize it. I, again, I'm thinking of that listener who's going through it right now, I don't want you to hear me saying, oh, come on, your problem's not that big of a deal. Just think of a Bible verse. No, it's it can you can be going through a terrible trial right now, but it's still right to get God in your thinking, to ask the question, where's God? What is God up to? Now, we don't know all the time what God is doing, 
one of my favorite John Piper quotes is that God is doing 10,000 things in this and every situation, and you only know three. I love that quote because mm -hmm. it reminds us that God is at work in all kinds of ways. And so what, what can we get? How can we get God in our thinking? Well, we can, we can remind ourselves of God's character. We can remind ourselves of God's promises. So if I, if I think of my gurgling uh, toilet and I think God is here, God has allowed this, God is at work, God has my good in mind. He's not out to get me, which is kind of where we started this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's it just, oh man, every, everybody's against me. Even God is against me. And you just, you just say, well, I've got to try to handle it on my own. No, no, no pause and pray, pause and think on what's true and right and good. Think about God and get God in your thoughts. And that is going to go a long way to revitalizing your hope. Well, something that you mentioned in that answer made me think of another quote. I don't think we're talking about this particular day, but you write that if all you can do is leave a problem in God's hands, you are leaving it in the best possible hands. And that was a really uh, encouraging statement. But, you know, going back to just that feeling of, you know, God is against me or punishing me in the devotional, you actually share from Romans 8, 32 through 34. And it's the scripture that encourages us, it says, uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised? There's that resurrection again. That's not in the scripture, but that's my comment. <laughs> who is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for us? So that reminder that God is for us. Yes. Um, can, can you comment a little bit more on on that in specifically just helping us to apply that biblical truth when we're feeling like God is against us? Yes, absolutely. Well, it, it's a great argument that Paul makes there. It's a beautiful argument where he says, listen, if God punished Jesus, his beloved son for your sins, now that you're a believer, now that you're one, you're, you're a child of God, a daughter of God, a son of God, how will he not also with, with him graciously give us all things? He is not out to get us. Think of what he did to Christ to get you where you are. If he was willing to do that to Christ when you were stuck in your sin, when you were a rebel against God, now that you are a son or daughter of God, how will he not also with Christ graciously give us everything we need? He is for us. And again, sometimes God works in, in mysterious ways that we don't know, but we can know that. And so when it doesn't seem like God is for us, the reality of scripture affirms absolutely he is. And so it changes our posture mm -hmm. as we face the trial, as we face a new day, knowing that God is for us. He's he's gonna he's on our side. I use the illustration in that in that devotional of 
a famous uh, soccer player, uh, Leo Messi, and just said, what if you were at a pickup soccer game and your team was getting crushed and then Messi, one of the greatest soccer players in the world, just pulls up to the park and says, hey, can I be on your team? It's like, okay, we're going to win. Even though it looks really bad, we are going to win because he is one of the world's greatest soccer players. And I think that we can, I mean, how much more could we say it's this trial seems devastating. It feels devastating, but we're going to win because God is on our side. He's given us everything in Christ. Of course, he's going to help us through this trial as well. Yeah, we could talk a lot about Romans 8. It's a great place. (laughs) It's a great place to be. Yes. And again, just to remind the listener, there's so many helpful reflections in this devotional. It was really hard to pick just the select few that we could talk about in this interview. So please, if you are interested, go grab a copy of this book. Just thank you again, John, for putting our sight back onto the cross and what was accomplished on the cross. I think that Martin Lloyd-Jones said something to the effect of the cross proves that God is not unconcerned about us. It is is the sign. It is the event in history that proves he is for us. He's not unconcerned. He's not uncaring, not unfeeling. John, I want to have us ask a really hard question that actually you propose on day 13, and I'm sure that listeners can really resonate with it as I could when I read it. You ask, how many bad days in a row can you take before quitting? Mm. That's a hard question. And I think that if we're honest, you know, there may be even listeners listening that say, no, no more. I am at a place where I can literally take no more bad days. I want to quit now. And so that being said, what do we do when we find ourselves in that spot? And what truths about God must we call to mind to take heart and have hope when we feel like we want to quit? Right. And, you know, we've certainly have people in our church that have gone through some great difficulties. And you see, it's just an intensity about the trial. And they handle it beautifully. And you just go, wow, what a testimony of God's grace you are. But then the trial keeps going and it lingers on and on and on. Think of some of the people around me that just have chronic health concerns. It's it's like they have a bad day every day. And it's almost a different category. You, you need different grace from God for these long-lasting trials. The story that this devotional focused on was Joseph. And, of course, we love the story of Joseph and you just read through it in scripture. And even though it's it covers a lot of chapters, you can still read through it relatively quickly. And you forget to kind of do the math of how many bad days Joseph had in a row between being daddy's favorite to being sold as a slave, falsely accused, sent to prison, interpret dreams, but then they forget about you and you're in prison two more years. Boy, what is it? 12 years, 13 years 
of bad days. And I mean, it, the Bible gives us encouragement in there. God was with them. God was blessing. You know, so he rose to the top of the of the jail. You know, great. <laughs> Thankful to be the number one prisoner <laughs> instead of the last one. But still, I'm in prison. I can't. I, my freedom is gone. I can't do what I want to do. This is this is this is terrible. And it was at the end of his life that Joseph basically kind of gave what some people call the Romans 828 of the Old Testament when he talked to his brothers and he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Even though I was having all of these bad days, God used these bad days, the 13 years worth of bad days to put me in the exact place that I needed to be at the exact time to, to accomplish what God had, which was saving his brothers, saving his family. And if you, if you really go big picture, that's the line of Christ. God used Joseph to save Christmas, to save <laughs> the line of Christ, because his family would have starved to death, potentially, in Israel at that time of famine. And I think we have to remember God. And that, again, what's God up to? I don't know. I know three things. Well, God's doing 10,000 things that you don't even know. I think sometimes if we could get behind the curtain and see God at work, and see the master plans as if they were all laid out on paper. And we could see God maneuvering this and that and using this trial in you, preparing you to be the minister of grace to someone else. You're the perfect person because you've gone through it and God's brought you through. Or even God is giving you grace in the midst of this trial so that you can give profound comfort to someone else going through a trial. And I think those are some of the ways God helps us to just remember he's at work. It, it doesn't make it easy. I'm sure Joseph had a lot of days where he was kicking the walls of his prison cell, wondering how long will it be? God knew. Joseph didn't know. But Joseph knew God's character could be trusted and that God had a plan. And certainly uh, at the end of his life, as he was interacting with his brothers, he had the wisdom to look back and interpret all that was happening in light of God. You meant this for evil. You were actively opposed to me, but God superintended this for his greater purposes. So good. And, you know, really just plays off the importance of, you know, the examples that the scriptures offer us. I don't think we are going to be talking about it, but there is a day in the devotional where you, where you say that the scriptures, you know, the Bible says that the scriptures were written for our encouragement. So yes. that through what they teach, you know, we can endure and have hope in the midst of our trials. And so stories like Joseph and and others were about to talk about um, the Apostle Paul. But even while you were talking just now, I was earlier this morning, I saw a video on Facebook from Johnny Erickson Tata, and she was talking about how she has been 55 years as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair since her diving accident as a teenager. And she, you know, just is very honest about how hard that has been. 
but that she has learned to live in that tension of, of sorrow and rejoicing. And it makes me think of even Elizabeth Elliot, I've said on this podcast before in the book that has meant so much to me. And she presents the ideas of the fact that there are terrible truths that we contend with in this world, um, real brokenness and real pain and real hard times that last a long time, lots and lots of bad days. But as Christians and through Christ, through the living hope that we have, we have wonderful facts of the gospel of a another kingdom, another perspective that mm -hmm. is not going to expire. Like the terrible truths will expire, but the wonderful facts of the gospel will not. It is, you know, our inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, imperishable, kept in heaven. And that is what truly helps us to reorient our hearts and our perspective in those hard times. Absolutely. And of course, Johnny, what a beautiful story and, and the grace that God has given to her in, in her many sufferings has been an encouragement to thousands maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of brothers and sisters throughout the whole world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's precious. And I mean, I, I am so I hate it for her. But oh, how God has used her in my life and so many other lives. Right. Well, and it's a great segue to explore briefly about something that the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. And this 2 Corinthians 1 is pretty much one of my favorite parts of the scriptures because uh, it's so rich and, and the spirit has really used this, uh, you know, you know, talking about comforting others with the comforts that we have received from God in the midst of our affliction, which is what we're really what we're talking about right now in terms of people who have suffered um, hard times before us and have, have seen and, and testified to the sufficiency of God's grace and his hope to persevere them in the midst of those, those challenging times. But in um, on day 14 of the devotional, you share, I'm going to read this scripture. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he writes, we do not want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you make the observation that day that, quote, Paul's load surpassed his physical limits and exhausted his emotional limits. It felt beyond his spiritual limits as well. Maybe talk a little bit about what's going on here for Paul and what was God um, and what God was teaching him during that trial. Mm -hmm. Well, one in interesting thing about this little episode in Second Corinthians one is we don't we don't know exactly what this was. Some you know scholars you know always have guesses about different things and try to connect the dots to the history of the early church in the Book of Acts, but we don't know for sure what what was going on. And so you think, well, I thought I kind of knew all about Paul, but then you read this and go, wow, this was, this was an amazing situation. 
the language that he used there that they were he he wasn't just burdened he was so utterly burdened beyond our strength and despaired of life itself and the the anxiety was so alarming that uh, this despair word kind of has the idea of no way out. So it really does seem humanly overwhelming. So yeah, it, it's kind of a, a sobering reality that even one of our heroes, Paul, would have situations like this where it really does feel this way. I think that uh, there's there's people that feel tremendous guilt for even feeling this way, but that's sometimes reality. Life is really, really hard, and it's okay to acknowledge that to God. It's not a lack of faith to say, I was despairing. It becomes a lack of faith if we just stop there. And again, we don't include God, you know, if we kind of drift drift back into the practical atheism. I'm not an atheist, but I'm acting like an atheist. I'm acting as if God's not in this. And so that is the preciousness of, of this passage where he brings God in there and says, yes, we felt like we had the sentence of death, but we remembered God. God raises the dead. And we have hope that even though it seems really, really bad, God can do good things. God will get us through. God has a good future for us, even though what it looks like, what I'm thinking about, what it feels like, all looks bad. When I inject a Godward hope into my, into my story, that that encourages me. I can look up, and I'm not just face to face with a trial. I can also think about God and think about what God is up to. I love that particular part, and I love the fact that you even brought in Second Corinthians because in the study that I was doing a month or so ago, I learned that you know in the context of that letter and in the church at that time, Paul was really having to contend for his his apostleship <laughs> that right. he was being accused of because you are suffering so much. This must mean you are not an apostle. Right. And sometimes we can hear that, hear those messages, you know, you know, so-and-so because you're going through this hard time, well, this must mean that, that you're actually not a Christian or you wouldn't be experiencing this type of prolonged hardship or this, these very trials, as Peter would say, if you really believed Right. And so even Paul had to like step up and say, no, no, no. We even know when Paul was called to ministry, he was told, like, I will show him how much he must suffer right. for, for my name's sake. You know, and so um, just that temptation, like we've talked about before, that I'm suffering and this must mean that God is against me or I'm not, maybe I'm not even saved. Mm, yes. And, you know, you, as you were talking there, it, it's really interesting to, to think as difficult as some of my outward trials are and the fights I have with my own flesh to believe what I know is true. In addition to that, we also have enemies of the world 
and the devil that are that are actually telling us lies like you mentioned mm-hmm. oh uh, the 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 as paul calls them later in second corinthians the super apostles you know they they you know we're the real apostles and, you know if if this guy paul was the real thing you know he would be living the dream he wouldn't be suffering so much that can't be right and good mm-hmm. and how terrible it is when we have people give us bad counsel when we're going through a hard time you think of i mean the classic example of job's wife you know just curse god and die this is really bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's not what job needed to hear that uh that's uh that's I heard a Christian comedian who was who was talking about all of the things Satan was doing to Job. And it's like, oh, should we kill his wife? The demon says, no, actually leave her. You know, she's <laughs> she's actually helping the cause at this mm. point. But, you know, but, he, you know, he makes a point. Yeah, we have a spiritual enemy. And later in Second Corinthians, Paul's going to talk about the thorn in the flesh. And uh, a messenger of Satan, it's called. We don't know. Is it a physical thing? Is it a spiritual thing? Or is it the false teachers? I, I think it was probably a physical dynamic going on there. But Satan was behind that. And wow, even when we're down, even when we're going through it, the devil can can offer a kick in the gut to make it feel even worse. Mm-hmm. But, uh, of course, lots of encouragement, even in that passage in 2 Corinthians 12, that Christ is in it. Christ is not going to let the devil do more than you're able to handle. God is using it to, to help you be humble, Paul, and, and so that you will glory in my sufficient grace in the midst of your trial, even with the devil adding his kicks to the trial. Yeah, just over time, I have uh, learned, I think, whenever I get to that point of of potential despair, you know, what on earth is this happening in my life for to come, you know, back to this particular passage and, and say, well, I can know one thing it's accomplishing. It's helping me to not rely on myself, but to rely on God who raises the dead. And sometimes that needs to be the sufficient answer for the day. I don't get to know anything else about what's going on, except for I can know that and then take my next steps in faithfulness as a result. We've got time for a couple more questions. Uh, Gosh, I really do think we could go hours and hours, but I did want to bring up another section in the book where you talk about waiting on God. And this, again, I, I think one of the reasons why I love this conversation so much is because these have been points in my own spiritual growth and, and walk with Christ that the Lord has really had to get me to these hard, prolonged seasons to teach me and grow me through them. And and so this is one of those disciplines waiting on God that has been so important to me. Like we said before, um, you know, going through hard times, it's tempting to grow impatient. And how many more bad days can we take before quitting, you know, like we talked about. But the reality is, as you explore in the book, more often than not, we are being made to wait on God's wise, good, and sovereign timing. You addressed the need we have to wait on God, and you remind us that, quote, God's timing also has purposes beyond you. And Uh, That really struck a chord with me. I appreciate that statement because it forces us to come to grips with the fact that the world 
really doesn't revolve around us. <laughs> um, and, and we need to, re- we need that kick in the pants sometimes to remember that for this particular day, you share Psalm 62, 5. And that Psalm reads, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. That was actually a memory verse I had to memorize when I was in biblical counseling at IBCD um, some years ago. And so Mm. I was excited to see that. But can you help us think through why God designs hard seasons of waiting and what some of those redemptive benefits might be? Well, God's purposes are, are right and wise and completely good. It's amazing to think if not only does God know the end from the beginning, not only is God's plan perfect, God even knows all of the contingencies. In other words, he knows what it would be like if he had made that that traffic signal turn green for you at the moment you wanted it. And he knows what it was like when he let it stay red. And it was better in his master plan for all that God is doing for it to have stayed red. Even though we think, uh, Lord, I, I want to get to this place at this time. I've got these good motivations. But if we knew what God was up to, we would wait with joy. You know, waiting on God is not, is I love the connection between waiting on God and hoping in God. Because waiting in God biblically has that attitude of hope and an attitude of confidence. It's not just waiting around, okay, God, trying to come through. Would you finally do what you're supposed to? No, it's it's okay. God's time, God's watch is the best. God's timing is the best. You know, we don't know how God is working, but if you knew with confidence and assurance, if God sent an angel to tell you while you were waiting at the traffic light that turned red and wouldn't turn green when you thought it ought to, that God was protecting you from a traffic accident one block ahead, how would that change your response at the at the red light? Well, I know for me, I would be thrilled. I would be singing a praise song to God uh, for joy because he cared for me and protected me from the traffic accident, I would have endured one block ahead had the traffic light been green. Now, we don't know all that God is up to. Maybe it is something practical just like that, that God is doing. But what hope tells us is God is going to give you good in the future. And so the fact that he's got you waiting on that right now, waiting for that, it's okay. It is okay because we trust that God's plan is even better than what I would come up with on my own. I'm finding even now as we're talking, this is a whole lot easier to say in a podcast. Thinking some, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, while I'm driving, maybe somebody's mm. at a red light right now while we're talking. It's harder to do this in reality than it is to talk about it. But it's so important for us when life is going okay to 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 equip our souls with these truths so that when the traffic light turns red, 
we're ready. We've got the truth. That's why, that's why it was really good for you to memorize this verse um, of Psalm 62, 5, so that you've got it ready to go when you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I even rehearse it when I can't sleep that, you know, I I often will use scriptures the time right before I go to bed to work on memory verses. And I can't say that I've mastered a whole library full of them or Bible full of them even, but you know, the ones I have are the ones that I turn to and rehearse over and over again when I am trying to drift off to sleep. And that certainly is, is one of them that I call to mind and um, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like I said, I wish we had more time to to go into this devotional, but I want to wrap up our conversation with Psalm 42 and taking a look at what the psalmist does as he is wrestling with despair. Psalm 42, in this particular day in the devotional, you quote uh, verses five through six, which read, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We know that hard times can be prolonged and sometimes even unresolved this side of heaven. And as a result, you know, sometimes we do slip into a pit of deep despair and hopelessness. But I think what you observe in this particular day of the devotional is also very practical, which is why I wanted to talk about it. And you even call, uh, you introduce a biblical principle, and you actually call this, quote, an important prescription for despair. So can you tell us what that prescription is in Psalm 42 and how we might practically apply it in our own situations? Well, I think I first got this prescription from the doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, right, in Spiritual Depression, where he gave that such an important really paradigm for us. Don't listen to yourself, but talk to yourself. And he observed absolutely rightly. It's kind of one one of those things where once you hear it, you can't help but see it. You know, the psalmist was literally talking to himself and telling himself the truth and admonishing himself for despairing, calling upon himself to hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When we're going through difficult times, our flesh will tell us bad things. And uh, that it's, it just adds to it as we interpret the situation negatively, how important it is for us to not go by what our flesh tells us, to capture those bad thoughts, to capture those emotions that are misfiring, and aim ourselves at God's truth, to tell ourselves what's true and affirm what's right. Hope in God. Don't don't just go down this path of despair. Don't just put the track of despair on repeat (laughs) on your phone and just listen to it again and again and again. But no, get God in your thinking, get God's truth in your thinking. And the psalmist shows us the way. So if you read Psalm 42, which is where we quoted this from, and also Psalm 43, it's like these two Psalms go together. And there's three different times. It's like at the end of three different refrains between those two Psalms, where you get this almost identical refrain of talking to himself. Hope in God, hope in God, 
it's going to be all right. So sometimes we think, is it bad to talk to ourselves? No, no. <laughs> sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes we write down our thoughts in our journal, and then we go back and look and say, you know what? Those aren't good thoughts. Those are, I need to capture those. I need to replace those with thoughts that line up more with what God would have us believe and say. And that can be a great help to ourselves and certainly a great help as we minister to others, knowing here, here's what you're saying, but that's not right. That's not right. Let's think about this Godwardly. What's a better way to think of it, you know? Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that you do mention about ministering to others. And I just want to make the point before we close out with, with our closing encouragement from you, that if you are finding yourself in that spot, that, you know, there's this, a quote that I always seem to repeat from Scott Mill, who um, who's the author of Loving Messy People. And he's been, you know, a big part of IBCD the last couple of years, but he writes that, um, you know, it's not up to suffering people to find comfort on their own. And so if you feel like you can't even muster up what, you know, in your own self to be able to rehearse these truths, you know, get with a friend, reach mm -hmm. out to a pastor, reach out to a trusted loved one that God has not designed you to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? And so we're not in this journey alone. And so if you are struggling, you know, thank you, number one, for listening to this episode. And hopefully it has been an encouragement to you. But number two, take that next step and get with someone who is a part of the body of Christ, that the Holy Spirit would minister to your soul with the appropriate words that you need for the uh, moment that you find yourself in. This is why it's so important to be part of a, the best church you can be part of. You know, a lot of people are part of okay churches, and there's a lot of reasons for that, I know. But I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm hearing people say, you know, I know this church isn't that good, but they've got a great kids program that my kids like. And so I don't want to have the hassle of going to the healthy church down the road that doesn't have the, the, the big kids program and having to hear about it from my kids. And I've often thought, when everything in your life is going well, you can probably pull that off. And maybe you even are having a little impact on some people at the okay church. But when the bottom drops out, when your life falls apart, who are you surrounded by? Who are your friends? And, and just like you said, Christine, you got to get some people around you that help you and tell you the truth that speak the truth in love. How bad would it be, like when we were talking about Paul and his situation in Corinth, if people were adding to the trial by, by saying bad things or reinforcing worldly thinking or despairing thinking, even if not everybody is a trained counselor at your church, if you've got a godly Christian friend, they're going to be sharing God's truth with you. And just aiming you to the Lord in ways that are that are so helpful. I absolutely agree. We aren't made to make it on our own. We are made to be part of church families. And being a part of the best church family you can be is great. I mean, uh, I'm thinking again about the family who's maybe thinking they've got the good kids program. Well, listen, if your marriage collapses 
and you're surrounded by people giving you really bad counsel, and now your marriage does fall apart, God forbid, how is it for your kids and their great kids program at church? Wouldn't it be so much better, big picture for your kids, for you and your spouse to be built up with God's truth and surrounded by kids who are having their parents teach them God's truth. So it might not be as fun, <laughs> but oh, how much better it is in the long run for you. There's yeah. probably a probably an illustration that, uh, you know, Twinkies are a lot more fun to eat than uh, the nutritious fruits and vegetables. But I think in the long run, we find a diet of Twinkies uh, has a lot more complications. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my gosh. Well, John, I, I do want to give you credit. I don't believe the word Twinkies has been used on this podcast before. Oh, so good. you are the first one. So thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> all right well thank you for for just adding on to that i want to go ahead and close this out by doing something that i ask every guest of the hope and help podcast to do which is to speak directly to the audience there may be someone listening who is presently going through a really hard time in their life what would you say in addition to everything you've already said, to encourage this listener today with the hope and help of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus knows. Jesus knows what you're going through. It's not that he's got a big knowledge of all of his people in one giant glob. He knows you and he cares about you. The Bible says that he has been tempted in every way like we are yet without sin. He has experienced life on earth. He's experienced his friend turning against him. He's been beaten up and accused unjustly. He's been crucified. <laughs> he knows and he cares for you and loves you. And according to what we know about Christ, and the whole Trinity, in terms of the God's sovereign plan for your life, he's allowing this trial in your life, and he's using it in so many ways you'll never even know about. You can trust him. You absolutely can. He is with you in the trial. He is superintending the trial for his greater purposes in and through you, and as long as this trial seems to be or feels like it, it is just going to be a blip compared to heaven. I mean, we, we alluded to in our, in our talk in this podcast the inheritance we have, but we didn't talk about the eternity of heaven. It goes on forever so that Paul can tell us that our trials, as bad as they are, and Paul knew about bad trials, are light and momentary afflictions that God is, they aren't even worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that God has for us. So Christ is with you. He cares. He's walking through you. He will give you grace for this day and grace for tomorrow. 
He hasn't given you tomorrow's grace yet, but it's going to be waiting for you. And uh, he will take us all the way to heaven. And when we see all that he was doing, we will rejoice and sing his praises for the beauty of his plan, which is so much better than what we could plan for ourselves. We do our best, but we have to ultimately leave, leave it in God's hands. He the father knows best. <laughs> if, if all, yeah, if all you can do is leave a problem in God's hands, you're leaving, leaving it in the best hands. I believe mm -hmm. I just memorized that from you. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for those words of encouragement, John. This was a really wonderful conversation, just personally encouraging to me, and I hope to listeners as well. Now, if there's someone listening who wants to get more connected with you, maybe learn more about your, your ministry and the other books that you have available, where can they find more about you online? Thanks. Uh, well, our church website is faithbiblechurch.us. So I'm the pastor of Faith Bible Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia, which is on the south side of Atlanta. And uh, we have a counseling ministry in our church, uh, ministering to people in our community. And uh, my books are listed on the website. You could also go to Amazon as well. And uh, most of them are about uh, family type things. I did write a book on graciousness as well. And, and uh, sort of an autobiography helping me to become more gracious. <laughs> <laughs> but um, very thankful for the opportunities to, to minister um, as, as widely as the Lord would, would allow us. And um, may it be that uh, this hope book uh, would be an encouragement uh, to many. And uh, like I said, hope is only necessary if you're going through problems. And I can I can tell you this, you know, when you publish books, they take a lot longer to come out than you would wish that they were. And it takes a long time and you have to go back and re-edit and, and try to make it better and better. Going through the hope book myself was a great blessing to me and to our editors. And so we trust that God would use it to be uh, an encouragement. Uh, a little dose of positivity in this negative world. And yet it's not just wishful. It's based on the certainty of God's word, God's promises, God's character. So it's a, it's a done deal. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us for the conversation today. I cannot recommend, uh, I, I know I say these things every episode, but I guess have the best guests. I really do feel like I get to talk to the most uh, wise, encouraging people. And so please do do yourself a favor um, and get a copy of John's devotional, Hope, Living Confidently in God. If you would like to get that um, and learn more about John's ministry, you can scroll down to the show notes of this episode, click the link that is there in the description, and that will take you to a page on our website at IBCD where you can access all that information. Thanks again, John, for joining me for the show today. It was real, real great uh, getting to talk a bit more with you. Thank you so much, Christine. It was an honor. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. 
Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.